Welcome to New Life's weekly podcast. New Life is a United Methodist congregation established in 2011 in McChesney Park, Illinois. Worship is Saturday at 5.30 p.m. with events ongoing. Check us out online at www.findnewlifeumc.org and sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. I'm your host, Mark Myers, pastor of New Life, as well as our sister congregation, Sherland United Methodist Church, and our cooperative on-site mission, The Paper Angel Closet. Each soldier, but his tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did this, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near her, he said to his mother, woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, knowing that all was finished, Jesus said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of vinegar on the hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we come to this day, this time of the year where we remember the passion you endured, the humiliation, the torture, and ultimately execution on a cross. We ask in the midst of this and in the midst of understanding why this event is so important and why we believe it is so important that you send your spirit upon us. You allow us to hear in a new way, to answer and question in a new way, to be open to your call, to your movements, to your voice, that we may be changed forever by this event as we have been, and that we may be reminded every time we gather, and often beyond that, your love for us. We pray this in your holy name. So we are finishing-ish our series on Creed, on the Apostles' Creed. Um, The title and the uh, sermon uh, ideas come from Adam Hamilton's book of the name Creed. Um, That's about it this time around. But as I was going through this series, and we've talked about God the Father, we've talked about God the Son, we talked about God the Holy Spirit, we talked about the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, we talked about the forgiveness of sins. I felt, especially approaching Easter uh, and knowing in ancient days, yes, we would come together on Palm Sunday tomorrow and we would wave palm branches and celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Then we would gather on Thursday night. We would celebrate around the table Monday, Thursday, the last meal he had with his disciples. Then on Friday, we would go to a three-hour-long service in the middle of the day. That was always exciting. Have you ever been to any of those? They're rough, actually, um, for preachers and for, for everyone else. I've been to a couple of decent ones over the years. To try to remember the crucifixion, and then traditionally, people would wait up Sunday or Saturday night, this time next week, till midnight. They called it the Easter Vigil. And then, of course, in the morning on Sunday, they would celebrate the resurrection. And so there was a every year a living through the passion. 
every year. Years passed and schedules got busy and soccer was on Sunday morning and all that kind of stuff that we say happened. I have other people to blame besides what we normally blame, but anyway, things change and we stopped going <laughs> to all those services. We stopped doing Easter Vigil first. We switched it to sunrise service. We want, instead of staying up till midnight, we got up at six and made pancakes, right? Okay, not too bad. Then we dropped, we started doing ecumenical Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Then we would merge them together and then we just stopped doing them all together. For the most part, you can still find a few here and there. And so we come to church on Sunday and we celebrate the entrance into Jerusalem and we wave our palm branches and then next Sunday we celebrate the empty tomb and the resurrection and we forget. We forget about the crucifixion. So we talked about it briefly when we talked about Jesus, but I thought maybe it took a little bit more or warranted a little bit more time to settle on. I believe Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was crucified. Why do I believe that? Why is that important? What's it really mean? I want to start the conversation by turning it back a little bit. How do we prove love? What are some ways? We prove to one another that we love each other. There's a good book uh, uh, who wrote it. Love languages, five love languages, right? Use that in pastoral counseling, premarital counseling. Understanding you and your partner's love language, helpful. So how do we show love? There's no wrong answer. Treating each other nicely? Well, I assume. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, depending on who you're talking to, yeah. Doing things for one. Saying, I love you. Yeah, that's hard for some people. Touch, physical touch, that's one of the love languages. Yeah. Gift giving, that's one of the love languages too. Quality time, that's what I appreciate the most. That's one of the love languages. I don't remember all five. Affirmation, words of affirmation. Oh, man, we need that. Do you remember the fifth one? Like the dwarfs. Sneezy. Doc, I always forget one. Never remember all seven of those buggers. There's lots of ways we show each other love. There's lots of ways we experience love. You know, we can say, I love you, and some of us can't even do that. But, you know, you can say, I love you. You know, we talked about forgiveness last week. Um, I always tell, you know, Alex and, and Anthony, you, you, can, you can say, I'm sorry. <laughs> but my hope is that you don't do it again. Right? That's how I'll really know. Not just by saying the words, but by trying better the next time. By trying not to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And it's hard for little kids because they make the same mistakes over and over and over again. So our love is the same way. We, we show our love. We can say it, and that's important. But, but there are things we do. Jennifer and I love, even though gift giving is not either of our love languages, ironically, we both love to give gifts. Right? Uh, it gets harder and harder to do the less money you have. <laughs> and the more children you have, but we love to do that. Quality time is what I really love. Love spending time. Instead of uh, buying our kids things, I'd rather you know do something fun, rather go out, right? Uh, instead of buying a gift that they're going to destroy or not play with or something else, I'd rather you know buy a zoo membership or you know, go somewhere that's, that's fun, make memories. 
So we say, and, and this isn't in the crucifixion yet, but we, we say, Jesus loves me. Right? That's a, that's a song that I sing to my children every night. Maybe you did the same thing. Maybe you do. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me. So that's what the, the song implies that, well, the Bible says it, therefore I believe it, and that's, that's good enough. But we believe God loves us. We believe God loves us. John chapter 15, verse 9. This is the, the kind of last moments before Jesus is crucified, before he's arrested. He, he's meeting with his disciples and he's talking and he's telling them just beautiful things. This, these chapters, John 14, 15, 16, 17, are just some of my favorite in the whole Bible. They're, they're just this, this intimate, meaningful um, kind of sharing between Jesus and his disciples. And, and, and he says, as the Father has loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. How do you know then that God loves you? How do you know that God loves you? I mean, the Bible says it. The Bible says God is love. One of the letters of John says that. First uh, John 4, verse 7, God is love. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. So the Bible says it. Some people would look outside and just, man, look, what a beautiful day we've had. I mean, it's like a you know, gusty wind outside the parking lot. But besides that, beautiful day. You'd go and you'd think, man, look at all the... You know, food, had some nice oranges today. God made all that stuff. You know, I have animals that live in my house. God made them. It's wonderful. All these things God has done. So how do we know definitively, truthfully, in our hearts, how do we truly believe God loves us? What has God done for us? Apostles' Creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, received by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. So we believe. I, I guess it's important we say we believe that Jesus was crucified. And we believe He died and was buried in the ground in case you didn't get it. Right? Dead, dead. That's important. It's important as, as we talk here during the Easter season, as we talk about eternal life and resurrection, you can't have the resurrection without death. So that's important. So I, we believe in the crucifixion. I don't think there's probably a lot of people, although there were people at the time who said, well, he didn't really die, right? He didn't, so he, he wasn't ever really dead. <laughs> so that's how he was reappearing. Uh, you, know, you, you have your, your uh, you're not your pounds but your wrists nailed to a piece of wood and and probably the sides of your feet we found people crucified with uh, nails in the side of their feet right so we you know maybe in through the top but most likely on the sides of each of their feet uh, and, and you actually suffocate when you're crucified it's it's hard to see i mean you um 
Uh, we, I was just talking to somebody about Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, one of my favorite musicals of all time. And that scene where uh, Pilate, um, the scourge, the scourging of Jesus, where Jesus is whipped, and, and Pilate in the, in the musical counts to 39. Jesus was lashed 39 times. Uh, that's the hardest scene for me. So hard. Because so, you, you kind of live it beat by beat. If you've ever seen Passion of the Christ, like Mel Gibson went way, way overboard to really get it across scourging being whipped was really really nasty and so like you can see that and you said man that was bad and of course the crown of thorns and you can imagine that but but just looking at a cross it's hard to see how painful that would have been because because you're just kind of hanging there but if you if you've ever you know accidentally or been in a situation where you've suffocated uh and, and you imagine that going on for for hours not only the pain of of nails and, and the pain of you know the dry skin and, and you know, the blood and all that kind of stuff, but, but actually um, suffocating. You know, so we believe that happened. And, and then, you know, in case he, he didn't really die, they broke his legs and speared him in the side. So we believe he did suffer, he did die, he was buried. But, but what did that do, I think, is the question. And Yeah, I, I know some people are, well, it's just that's, that's how we're saved. Jesus died and so we're saved, and that's okay, right? Uh, but I know there's, there's quite a few people in the world that want to know, okay, what, what's the metaphysical, how did it, how did that work? You know, what was it about a cross? What was it about dying on a cross that really made it work? And that's what we call atonement theory, and I just want to go through a few. Uh, but I think it's relevant, um, you know, as I'm driving around and, and doing things, I listen to podcasts, uh, and some of the podcasts I listen to are Star Wars podcasts. And so I probably listened to two hours this week uh, of people arguing, like smart, super smart, intelligent people, um, some more famous than others, but arguing over two words from a Star Wars cartoon that came out last week. The words were, he is. I listened to two hours of debates over the impact that those two words had on the entire Star Wars universe and the entire everything we knew, right? So, so I know people are actually... Whether we, we, we admit it or not, people actually want to know, okay, what is going on here? So we call that atonement theory. What was it about the cross that really made it so we were saved? What really, uh, what, what, what really uh, happened? Well, there's a few of them. And they're theories because we don't quite know, right? There's no definitive way to know, but I think it's important to go over them. Uh, you hear a lot of the themes in the songs we sing. And that's why I also think it's important to go over because you, you do hear the, the, the themes, atonement themes, especially in contemporary Christian music. Uh, these themes seem to come out, I think, time and time again. The first theme is sacrificial atonement. And I'm just going to go through them very briefly. You can look them up, study them more. Uh, very all kinds of documents about them. But uh, sacrificial atonement goes off of the law of Moses, which when someone sinned, you needed to make a sacrifice to get right by God. And once a year, on Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday, they would make a sacrifice for the, all of the people, to forgive the sins of all the people, and they would do that on a, what kind of animal? Anybody know? Goat. The scapegoat. That's where we get the idea of scapegoat. Okay? So they would send the scapegoat out to bear the sins of the people, and then the sins of the people would be forgiven. So we call Jesus the Lamb of God. And so Jesus is the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now there are some problems with this. 
Why does God need a sacrifice? Why does God need a blood sacrifice? And we can go into all of that, but that's one theory, okay? And there's certainly, there's biblical evidence for all these theories. There's biblical support for all these theories. The next one is substitutionary atonement, and I think that's probably most popular in our music. The idea is that the wages of sin are death. If you look in the Bible, the wages of sin are death. Sin leads us to death. You see that theme time and time again. Jesus, therefore, substituted himself for us. He paid our ransom. We say that, right? Paid our ransom. He went to the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to die. Not true death, not, not the kind of death that we, would, we all physically die, right? But we would have new life. Substitution. Then there's subjective, although I like to call it moral influence theory. The idea is that Jesus lived this good life, did these things, and, and, and because he, how he lived and what he did, it, it just impacts us. And so subjectively speaking, we are changed because of what he did. Subjective. The final one is, uh, at least the four big ones, the final one is Christus Victor, and probably my favorite. I like all of them for some different reasons, but... Christus Victor is kind of the uh, cosmological battle versus good and evil. That there, there are forces of good and forces of evil. Obviously, God is the ultimate force of good and, and, and evil. Uh, you know, there's various kind of definitions of, of what evil is and how evil came to be and all that kind of stuff. But in the, the forces of good, of course, uh, Jesus and God and, and the Holy Spirit, and the forces of evil, all kinds of, of terrible things, sin and death, be included. And so... Christus Victor says through the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and ascension, Jesus defeated death. He was victorious over death, victorious over sin, and because of that, we all share in it. So it's kind of like the, you know, the Death Star blows up, right, at the end of Star Wars. It's, it's the victory party. The Ewoks, that's a different one. The Ewoks are celebrating, and, you know, that's, I'm just, I've been watching a lot of Star Wars with the kids. Rogue One just came out on DVD. Blu-ray. So that's kind of some of the metaphysical what happened, or at least some idea. But I want to take us to the cross for a second. Each gospel, it's interesting, right? Each gospel records Jesus saying something different from the cross. Now, he was there a few hours, so he could have said a whole lot, right? But there are seven statements, the seven last words of Jesus, um, and we don't know chronologically how they were said or anything else, but I, I just want, to, I want you to listen to these words. I want you to listen to these words. These are the, the, the words Jesus spoke from the cross, and we tend to think of the cross as, as, as this huge kind of thing. It, it probably was five, six feet tall at most. So, so Mary, Mary's sister, Mary Magdalene, <laughs> there's a lot of Marys. Right? Three, the three Marys, uh, and then John, the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, I mean, they were probably, I mean, Jesus was probably here, and they were here, right? So, so they were close, so they could hear him, right? People could hear him say these words. John 19 says, here is your mother. That beautiful, beautiful passage where Jesus sees his mother and you know, remember 2,000 years ago, there's not Social Security. There's not welfare. Um, Jesus' father, Joseph, wasn't a rich man. 
So, so most likely Jesus and, and his brothers and sisters were taking care of, of Mary in, in terms of her basic needs and housing and all that kind of stuff. I can't imagine Joseph left her with a lot of resources. And, and so even on the cross as he is, is dying, suffering, he sees his mother whom he certainly loved. And, and he, he basically does this thing where he says to John, one of the disciples, this is your mother. Take care of her, basically, right? Love her like I've loved her. Uh, and we know how important Mary had become and is. Luke chapter 23, we read, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. People mocking Jesus, right? Soldiers fighting over his clothes, even the criminals on the cross, besides him, one of them at least, mocking him, making fun of him, the the, the religious people putting him down. It's a nice, godly thing to do, right? And even on the cross, he realized, even in the midst of that sin, he realizes he needs to forgive them. And he does forgive them. Luke 23 continues with one of the convicts, one of the criminals. And the criminal says to Jesus something to the effect of, I belong here, but I know you don't. When you enter your kingdom, think of me. Right? It's beautiful. Beautiful. That, that this person who obviously had made some bad decisions understood who this man was hanging on the cross next to him. And Jesus turns to him and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Spent a lot of time talking about that. Mark recounts Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's hard for us to hear. Why, why did, did Jesus not know? Was Jesus being abandoned? What's going on? You know, the whole you know, heretical relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is kind of hard to understand. On the cross, what's actually, you know, what's God the Father doing? What's God the Holy Spirit doing? We know what God the Son is doing. So, so is Jesus doubting? Is he confused? Maybe. But, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a quote from Psalm 20, 22. And if you read Psalm 22, it starts that way. But as many lament psalms, psalms that are kind of starting angry or sad, it, it ends up with hope. And so as Jesus quotes a scripture, you have to remember every time Jesus quotes a scripture, everyone who was listening, they knew what the rest of the scripture was. I mean, people were exceptionally biblically illiterate in those times. Uh, you know, especially uh, men who were trained, but even even women and children. I mean, they were they just knew the law, especially the law and the prophets, and, and certainly the Psalms. We assume they sung them, <laughs> so it would be like singing one of the songs, you know, that that we know. Give thanks to the Lord, our, our God is good; His love endures. I mean, we know we know the rest of the song. That's also a psalm, oddly enough. And so there's hope in that. Then this is a little, you know, we get a little bit more confused by the fifth word, and that comes from John 19. And Jesus says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Now, I mean, why, you know, why would we record this? You know, yeah, he, he was dying. Of course he was thirsty. Of course he was thirsty. Why, why, would, why would we write that? But, I mean, if you look back in John, you know, very rarely is anything in the Bible you know, especially the Gospels written 
um, just kind of to, oh yeah, this is like filler. Like I needed to get 5,000 words and I didn't, so I just added a few extra lines. No, I, I mean, that's really not, not what we're talking about. But earlier in John, uh, one of the very first things Jesus does is he has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And, and he offers her living water. They're at the well together, right? And she's thirsty and he's thirsty. And he says, would you give me something to drink? And she says, why would you, why would you ask me for something? I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. I'm here when nobody else is here. And they have this beautiful, beautiful dialogue in John chapter 4. And, and Jesus says, I can offer you living water. You will drink it and never be thirsty again. So the juxtaposition here in the end of John is, here is the source of living water drying up. Drying up. Dying on a cross. Luke records Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That's a, that's a beautiful prayer. Uh, I mean, it's actually a breath prayer. It's a prayer that you can, uh, you know, you can take a breath, you can say it, you, you can pray it over and over again. It's probably a prayer we should be praying daily. We should probably wake up and say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. We should probably go tonight, and sometimes we do, right? Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Everything Jesus did and said, every action he took was an action for God, with God's plan in mind. And then John 19.30, we read earlier, it is finished. That's the final word. It is finished. Are these words of defeat? My ministry is finished. My life is finished. My suffering is finished. Or are these words of victory? If you take Christus Victor, that atonement theory, these are words of victory. This is Jesus saying, everything that I came here to do now is done. My whole ministry, my mission, the, the whole plan for me to be here, God in flesh living among humanity, reminding them to turn around, to get back to God, reminding them to ask for forgiveness, reminding them to be new people. Everything was finished on the cross. In Greek, it's one word. One word. Just one One kind of exclamation. So we can think of Jesus kind of saying it almost pathetically. Or we can read it as a shout of victory. Jesus letting the world know that what he had come here to do is done. So I see a lot of things in that. And I'm, I'm just going back to the question, how do we know God loves us? How, how do we know Jesus loves me, this I know, right? How do we know that? And, and yes, I'm, I'm reading the words and everything else and, and, and trying to, to, to tell you when that all comes from the Bible, but, but how do we know? Well, if we read back to John 15 where Again, he's, he's sharing these beautiful things with his friends. 
Jesus defines it like this. No one has greater love than to give one's life up for one's friends. And so, regardless of atonement theory, regardless of what was said, although I think both things help, I believe the crucifixion is important Because this act showed us definitively that Jesus loved us. That Jesus loves us. Now, the victory and the salvation comes on Easter, but I I hope, you know, we, we know the end of the story, but I hope even those who didn't know the end of the story, the disciples and the Marys and, and all those people, um, that they realized what he had done. That he had given his life for them. That he had laid his own life down for his friends. But more than that, Jesus laid his life down for everybody. Not just for the people who were there, but for you and for me and for, for everyone everywhere. In the traditional bath, or in, in the traditional communion liturgy we say hear the good news Christ died for us while we were yet sinners that proves God's love for us in the name of Jesus Christ you are forgiven now the crucifixion might mean a whole bunch of different things for you but I think for me why do I believe it and why does it matter It matters because God is love. And it matters because Jesus loves you. He demonstrated that love by laying everything down on the cross, giving himself fully. It's the proof of his love. So I encourage you this week to approach the cross in your own way, offering yourself willing, able, And realizing that when you do that, you will be saved. Saved by love. Transformed in love. And called to love others. Until the whole world changes. Amen. Let us uh, respond to that. And we're going to read the Apostles' Creed. So let's follow along. And we will read it tomorrow. Or next week, excuse me, in another way. So... I've enjoyed this look at these creedal, I believe, statements. I hope you have. Let us read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now move to our prayers of the people. I will offer a petition 
after each petition, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you will respond. Let us pray. Lord, we wait for you to come again into our midst. Sometimes we wait patiently. Other times, not so patiently. Always we are aware of how much this world needs you. Lord, today we pray for those in our community who are in need of your healing and comfort. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for persons in leadership across our country that together we might make wise decisions. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for brothers and sisters around the world whose lives are torn apart by war. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for the saints who have witnessed your love. Lord, in your mercy. We pray knowing that you are with us now and that you will strengthen us to keep us away, to keep the faith, to keep working for the time when Christ will come again to surprise us anew with love and justice on earth. Lord, in your mercy, amen. Let us uh, now receive our tithes and offerings for the work of our church as we do. Um... This has been a recording of New Life Ministry. Learn more about us at www.findnewlifeumc.org and connect with us through our newsletter, Facebook, or Twitter. If you like what you heard, like our podcast on iTunes or Google Play and share it with your friends. Also consider supporting our paper angel closet, which provides toiletries and personal care items to homeless and at-risk youth, foster families and children, the families of those diagnosed with cancer, refugee families, and families in need in our community. You can donate online or drop off items at New Life UMC, 8301 Mitchell Road, McChesney Park, Illinois, 61015. Worship is every Saturday night at 5.30 p.m. Until next week, live knowing that you are a beloved child of God. Challenge yourself to share that love with all those you meet wherever you go. And realize that with the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ's body of the church, you can make a difference in your community and the world. Amen.